Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. As we continue our study in the book of Isaiah, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 25 through the end of the chapter today. Before we go to God's word, let's go to him again and ask for his help with his word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come now to your word, we pray that you would help us with it. And the help that we need is for us to see that we still are in desperate need of you. We are not, we have not reached a place where we no longer need you, where we can go it on our own. Instead, we need to realize more and more our need of you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, that you would show us our need of you. So in your name we pray. Amen. So I read through this passage. There's a there's a distinct shift in the middle of this passage. And it made me think of a sermon I listened to one time. And it's by someone that you've all heard the name of Pastor Paul Washer. He preached a sermon at a youth conference one time in Montgomery, Alabama, it's 2002, there were around 5,000 youth there. And the conference was on evangelism. If you've ever been to one of these kinds of conferences, uh, there's a whole lot of fun going on, not a whole lot of Bible going on. But Pastor Washer stands up, and if you know him, he's going to preach the Bible. He stands up and he gives this stirring sermon on Matthew chapter 7, talking about the need for repentance talking about the need for holy living among the church, not to be like the world, but to be like Jesus Christ. And this crowd, full of youth and full of youth counselors, begins applauding and kind of shouting in agreement to to him. And it seems like this real kind of crescendo to the sermon. And Pastor Washer stops them and says, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. He continued by exhorting the group to repentance and belief in Christ. And wouldn't you know, he wasn't invited back next the next year. <laughs> Not enough fun, Pastor Washer. In our passage today, we almost have this kind of, I don't know why you're clapping moment from Isaiah, who had been, who was doing it a long time before Paul Washer was. In the first section, we're excited to hear that God is going to go out and save the peoples from all over the world. And he's going to even be a warrior for them. And he has this kind of battle cry. And we might even be stirred up as believers to kind of have this, uh, yeah, God, go and get the lost people kind of frenzy being built up in us. But then God turns his sights on his own people. To make sure they understand that it's their own hearts that are in trouble. It's their own hearts that are far from God. Many times we love the idea of change. In particularly, we love the idea of someone else changing. We love the idea of someone else needing the gospel or someone else needing correction. It's really easy to look at someone or the problems that someone has and says, yeah, yeah, I know exactly what will fix that, as if we're some sort of expert on fixing ourselves or anything for that matter. 
However, when the magnifying glass gets turned onto ourselves, we act surprised to see flaws and cracks that are so apparent to everyone else that even looks at you from a glancing look. Many times we're the last one to see our own problems. Either that or we just kind of have this false humility about us that kind of deflects all accountability that we might receive. So as we look at this passage, we're going to see these two ideas. We're going to see both God being a savior of the nations, but also him proclaiming the need for repentance among his own people. So we'll look at two points. First, salvation to the nations, and then repentance for the people. And so with that, look together with me at the text, Isaiah 42, starting at verse 10. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 42, starting at verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You will go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind in a way they do not know, in paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are things I do, and I do do not forsake them. They turned They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. He hears his ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoiled with none to say restore. Who among you will give ear to this, will attend and listen for the time to come? Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunders? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned, in whose ways they would not walk, in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the seed of his anger and the might of his battle. It is set him, and it set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So real quick, one important thing that links this passage together with the passages 
that we have been looking at in the last few weeks is this idea that God is not just speaking to his own people, but he's going out into the remote places of the world in order to speak to others. He's going to the the text over and over, uses this imagery of the coastlands or the islands. It's, It's to give you this idea that he's going to the furthest reaches, not just the locals, but to the ends of the earth. The ministry of God which the ministry of God throughout the scriptures is this blessing that was promised to Abram that was going to, what was the blessing given to him? That all the nations would be blessed through his seed. This is God going forth and doing just that. We studied this as we studied Revelation. You saw this, as you see this as you look at the rest of scripture. There is going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are going to be in his presence in one day. And he's going out and he's getting them. These passages have a kind of evangelistic bent to them in that we understand that he, though he has a people for himself now and in the present as he did then in their, in their present, he is still going out and he's setting free the captives all over the world. And what we see about this is we don't see God in a central location calling out to the captives to come to him. No, we see him going to them bringing them to their senses so that they might go to him. He's making the blind see. He's making the deaf to hear. He is freeing the captives. Through the ministry of God and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the dead are given life. And that brings us to our first point, salvation to the nations. Look with me again at verses 10 through 12. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. There that is again. You go down to the sea and all that fills its coastlands and their inhabitants. But notice it's not even, it's not just talking about the ends of the earth. It's also talking about this village named Kedar and the inhabitants of Selah. Let them also sing for joy. And so you have kind of this mix. You have a new song that is to be sang to the Lord. It's people who are local. But it's also people who are far away. We read about these faraway coastlands and to the ends of the earth. But we also read about villages that would have been familiar to the reader. I know people from Selah or Kedar or whatever. The praise of God isn't just required by the people of Israel. It's required by all the people of the world. And why should they praise him? He tells us, verse 13 and 14. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. He's like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. And then he goes and he tells us, the Lord does. For a long time, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. He's been preparing himself like a warrior to go up against his foes. In verse 14 kind of gives us this idea that he's been waiting for the right time. If you think of like a woman in labor, it's it's a bunch of, it's a long period of waiting and then all of a sudden everything happens all at once. And that's what's going on here. The Lord has waited and waited and now he goes out into the nations. Again, remember the context here. Isaiah wrote these words 150 years before the Babylonian exile. 
But he's anticipating a time when the people of Judah will be taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire. They're going to need to hear that God plans to set his people free. This is true, but also from the language in the opening verses, really, honestly, from the beginning of chapter 40, we see this. This idea that salvation isn't just for the people of Israel. It goes all the way out into the wilderness. That all the nations are going to be blessed through the promises of God. If you look at verse 9. Behold, sorry, got got confused there for a second. Look the opening nine verses, sorry. We have a picture of this ministry of the Redeemer. We talked about that last week, that we looked at the first nine verses of Isaiah 42. We talked about this servant, this Redeemer of the Lord. Well, and we talked about the short term, this is going to be this person named Cyrus, but in the long term, we're looking forward to this person named Jesus Christ, who come and has come, and he did his work. And so verse 15 reminds us, I will lay waste to the mountains and to the hills, and dry up all their vegetation, turn the rivers to islands, dry up the pools. I will, and he, so he has this kind of picture that we had back in chapter 40, that the wilderness, out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord and does make straight the paths of the Lord. There's going to be a highway in the wilderness. Every obstacle would be removed in the Lord's doing his work. He's leading the blind in a way that they do not yet know. And again, it's not that the blind are kind of wandering aimlessly to him. He is going out to them. He is turning their darkness into light. Their idols are shown to be useless when when it comes to what the Lord is doing. Jesus talked a lot about this as well, this idea of light, especially in the book of John. In John chapter 8, verse 12, if you want to turn to John chapter 8 with me, we're going to We're going to be back and forth in John chapter 8 a little bit this morning. And in John chapter 8, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. And he has this to say to them concerning himself. John chapter 8, verse 12. Think about what we've just read. This idea of the light into the darkness. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. Again... Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's almost as if Jesus had read Isaiah. He knew what he was there to do. Now the Pharisees, they're going to have a problem with this. Of course they're going to have a problem with this. They had a problem with this because Jesus was testifying about himself. If you keep reading there in John chapter 8. They had forgot the testimony of, John, of Isaiah 41 and Isaiah 42 and forgot about this servant of the Lord who was going to come to do the very things that Jesus said he was doing. Because Jesus knew his task, not only as one who was prophesied by Isaiah, but the ones who gave the words to Isaiah himself in the first place. Jesus, the very son of God. And if you think about this, this idea of the nations of the world being led by the light of the world. When it comes to this, that Jesus is the Savior for all nations, you know, we don't have a problem with this in the church. Obviously we don't. In fact, 
churches and denominations in this country and all over the world pour millions into foreign missions. And when you look at the stats for these kinds of things, it's a really good thing that's going on around the world. Even locally, as we see what churches are doing here locally and as people just minister as individuals in their workplaces, in their homes, and so forth, we see God doing a work. We see lots of good things happening. People are interested in the truth. They want to hear the Bible being taught. They want to hear it being preached. They want to read the things of God. And even though you have on one extreme this kind of the church kind of making Christianity to be a kind of hallmark card, on the other extreme, you have people preaching the Bible. You have people digging into God's Word and wanting to understand and learn and teach it for themselves. It's a real revival that's going on. Again, this isn't at all to suggest that this work is nearing completion as you look at the missions across the world. Because the more I talk with lost folks, the more I realize that there is this profound need for Jesus Christ. I talk to people who are blind and captive, and it works itself out in every facet of their life. It's not just a religious conversation. In fact, it doesn't even start that way. It typically starts with something else that's going on in their life. Every single thing that they do, whether it be their marriage, their families, their jobs... The way that they talk about the things that are going on in the world, there's this infinite kind of sadness. They just need something. They're desperate to find someone who is taking all the bad things and making them good. Taking all the broken things and making them new. We have this kind of knowledge as Christians. We know who the one is. We just sing about the one who is going to do these things. We, it's not, and it's a real thing. And it's not just for eternity. Now we talk about spending an eternity with Christ, and that's incredible. But we have Christ in us today. We are His temple. We are a royal priesthood. And so when we look at the world, we see this, we see this heartache, and we want them to, to, to know Him. And we, so when we read this from Isaiah 42, it may get us a little bit excited that that God is going to go forth out into the nations, and He is still doing that. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, it's really true. The longer I live, the more I see it. But there's a catch. Because many times it's easy to focus on the change that is happening in the world around us and seeing all the good things that He's doing. And not focus on the change that I need and that you need. That brings us to the second point, repentance for the people. Look with me at verses 18 through 20 back in Isaiah 42. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one or my... Or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. So understand, in verse 18, you have Isaiah directing the blind and deaf of the world to gaze upon this one who is really blind and really deaf. 
Hey, you deaf and blind of the world, look here. Who is as blind as this one, my servant? Or who is as deaf as this one, my servant? Just as the people of God stand to applaud that the lost world might receive salvation, the Lord, through the prophet, says, I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. It's easy for us in the church to look out and see the lost world harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it's easy for us to point the finger at them and say the world really needs Jesus and forget that we really need him too. Notice it's not the fault of the law. Verse 21, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law, to make it glorious. The law is a good thing. It's not as if we're just struggling to because it's so hard. No, the law is a good thing. It's the people who are messed up. The people who were once set free from captivity. Notice, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not that we're it's not as if we're coming from a place of people who have always been free, or people who have always seen, or people who have always heard. We too were among those nations that he had to go out and say, receive sight, receive hearing, receive freedom. I was once blind, now I see, right? That's that's what we say. Who were once set free from captivity, but have chosen again to go back into the cage. Who were once able to see, but have chosen again to be blind. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. I think this is one of the best examples in Scripture of this idea. And actually, if you just read the book of Numbers, is an interesting book. But there are lots of places in the book of Numbers where you're just like, why don't y'all get it? And you need to under, you need to ask yourself the same question. Numbers chapter 14. And I'm going to read these first 11 verses because I think it's important for us to kind of get the context and understand what's going on here. Remember, the people of Israel had been set free from Egypt. They were in Egypt. They were slaves for years. Pharaoh was treating them horribly. And they saw these incredible things, right? They saw... They saw all these plagues. They saw the Red Sea stand up on its end. They were able to cross through and dry ground. The Lord did incredible things. He was leading them by a pillar of fire and pillar of cloud and putting bread all over the ground. He was doing all these incredible things for them. And look at chapter 14 of Numbers. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. Why are they upset? Something bad must have happened. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones, they will become prey. Listen to this. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among them, who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord is taking us to this incredible place. If the Lord delights in us, 
He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and with honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. Oh, don't you think they're going to get it now? Verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the things that I have done for them? After all the Lord had done for the people, they wanted to go back into captivity Hey, let's get someone who will take us back to Egypt. It's not as if they're going to get in a car and drive back to Egypt. They've been wandering around for years. They were going to have to wander around years more to get back to Egypt. They were desperate to go back and be slaves. And the Lord, He just says, how long? Well, He already knew the answer to that. Fast forward a thousand years, Isaiah is still asking the same question. He's still dealing with the same issue. Now they're staring down the barrel at another captor because they still will not turn to the Lord. I mean, look at verse 22, Isaiah chapter 42 again. But this is a people plundered and looted. This is, this is the Lord describing His own people. This is a people plundered and looted. They are, all of them, trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. Compare this to what we're called. We are called a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people. But a people plundered and looted, trapped in holes and prisons. We have become plundered. In our own choosing. And notice who did this. Just before we, before we get confused. Verse 24. Who gave up Jacob to the looter? And Israel to the plunders? Who would do this to them? Who would let them become products of their own decisions? Was it not the Lord? It was. Who gave up the people to the looter? It was God. Why would he do that? So that they could see their need of Him, to a people who had been set free, yet surrendered themselves again to the captors, the Lord has given them up to those captors. And for the people of Israel, it was Egypt, it was Assyria, it was Babylon. You keep going, just read their history. It's never been a good thing. And if we think that we are any different today, just look at the statistics. Just go look at statistics for the church and compare them to the statistics of the world. Look at lawlessness among Christians versus non-Christians. Look at divorce among Christians and non-Christians. Look at things just, just look at the hedonism that is in a Christian college versus the hedonism that is in a public university. It's pretty much the same. Theft, corruption, sexual sin, all kinds of debauchery are no less prevalent in the church than they are in the world. And you can already hear the detractor saying, well, yeah, they're not true Christians, though. Almost as if the people that would say that studied what the Pharisees said to Jesus. We have to be careful. Turn with me back to John chapter 8. Verse 31. 
Pharisees couldn't stand him. They couldn't understand how this man could call himself the light of the world, that he was going to set them free. And so this is what he says, verse 31 through 33. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. So, so Jesus is offering them truth. He's offering them freedom. We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved by anyone. Pharisees are not historians, apparently. How is it that you will say, you will become free? I mean, understand what's going on here. What are they doing? Jesus heard this same kind of thing over and over. It's not new for someone to hear a rebuke and say, yeah, yeah, you should start dealing with that right away, just like the Pharisees did. Well, Isaiah says, wait, be careful. What does Isaiah say? Was it not the Lord whom we sinned against? He wasn't deflecting this. He saw his blame also. This is important because if we're going to change, we have to see ourselves as being in need of change. So what's the answer? It's always the same. To the question that the Pharisees bring up, we've never been captive before in our lives. What's the answer? Who's the one that will set us free once we've decided to go back into the captor's hands? That's the same one that delivered us the first time. Verse 34, back in John chapter 8. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And you know this. We know this. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now the Pharisees heard this and what did they do? Well, they killed the one who would set them free. And don't think for a minute, well, yeah, those Pharisees, they're bad folks. I think the Pharisees end up kind of being this like boogeyman in churches sometimes that we we want to say everyone else is a Pharisee, obviously, except for us. But no, brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to look at yourself. Whether you're a believer or not, the answer is the same. The right answer is repentance. For the unbeliever, for the unbeliever, hear this and see this. See how the Lord fights for you. For Israel, their enemies were Babylon. For you, your ultimate enemies are sin and death. It can be any sort of thing, any sort of thing that you have made for yourself, but ultimately those things are sin and they lead to death. Jesus isn't going to promise you a perfect life today. I'm sorry if you've heard anything different on television. But what He can give you is victory over sin and death, ultimately. How can He do that? Call upon His name. And you can be saved. Be set free from your captivity of sin and death. But what about for the believer? Those of us who have been set free from Christ, why is it that we see captivity as an attractive thing that we keep going back to? Why is it that when we have been set free in Christ that we keep running back to that prison? When we've been given sight, we keep running back to that blindness. We are a people who have been set free. Live as if you have been set free. Repent of your blindness. Repent of your desire for blindness.
Repent of your desire for captivity. Call out to Jesus. He never stops rescuing his own people. And I'm not talking, again, understand and hear me. I'm not talking to the person that you think needs to hear this. I'm talking to you. Repent and be free. Live as a holy people, as a chosen nation. Be set free from the enemies of sin and death. Receive Jesus anew. Sing a new song. He took our sin and death. He took them on himself. And he was broken for us so that we can have a new life. So that we might become the very righteousness of God. Let us live as if that message is true. And not only that, but we have this message that's not only for us and is necessary for us as believers, but it's the only message of hope for the world. And so let us be a people who share that message faithfully with the world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we come to you as a people who are in desperate need of you, whether or not we always believe that. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us believe that. We pray that you would keep us close to you, that you would that you would keep our eyes from straying to our captors as if they have something to offer us, that you would keep our eyes from straying back to sin and back to death as if those things are good. You have defeated them once and for all. So help us to turn again to you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.